This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is Friday, June 3rd. That's hard to believe, folks. Jobs report was released by the government this morning. We'll be talking to Dr. Jason Miller, an associate professor at the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State here in segment two about that report and also some of the things we should be aware of when we're hearing these reports be reported by the media. A lot of times those headline numbers Maybe obscure, some interesting facts. And Jason's got some updates from the uh, uh, other economic reports that were released earlier this week on that. And in segment three, we're going to chat with Arlen Suderman. Of course, he's the chief commodities economist at StoneX. He watches these markets very closely. He'll share his insights on what's happening in the grains and livestock markets. And in segment four, we're going to talk soybeans specifically. We've seen a ton of volatility in that market this past week. Questions about acreage, questions about demand, questions questions about everything in that soybean market. So Scott Gerlt, the chief economist at the American Soybean Association, will join us in segment four for a rundown of the balance sheet situation in beans. Before we talk about all of that, however, we are going to check in with Todd Neely, environmental reporter over at DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning, Mike. Glad to be here. You know, June 3rd, this is the day, Todd, that we are expected to see the renewable volume obligations for 2021 and 2022 from the EPA. Are we going to get them? Yeah, Mike, I think that's inevitable today. Uh, We're already hearing from USDA and other people uh, related to a December uh, biofuels announcement that was made by by the Biden administration uh, USA, USDA today put out a news release talking about a $700 million that it uh, paid to biofuels producers across the country. And if you remember right back in December uh, when EPA released uh, proposed numbers for all the RFS volumes that we're waiting for, part of that announcement also involved the, the biofuels um, aid that was uh, handed out by USDA. So, yeah, we're, we're going to see it. Uh, just a matter of when. We're kind of sitting back and hoping it comes soon. Yeah, we are. We'll see. But you're right. It, it will be nice to have that those numbers officially released from the EPA. Todd, while we're thinking about ethanol, of course, there is a lawsuit uh, contingent to that ethanol industry between AOT Holdings and ADM. You've talked about that on the program before. Basically, they're alleging that ADM manipulated the ethanol markets. Bring us up to speed. There's been some action in that case over the past week, hasn't there? Yes, Mike. You know, um, the district court in central Illinois uh, is dealing with a number of cases, a number of lawsuits filed against ADM on this front. Uh, The one that we've talked about quite a bit is the AOT case, which um, some information had come out in in court uh, court orders and court records about a former, actually it's still a current employee of ADM, um, and his connection to um, this whole case. And so uh, what the court's dealing with right now, they're considering some objections that's been filed by Archer Daniels Midland uh, about this case. And in the meantime, uh, a magistrate in that court this week earlier went ahead and issued a stay, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because it's kind of, it's it's a bit of an unusual circumstance, I guess, and the fact that, uh, you know, a court basically released some information that apparently uh, ADM has argued was, was under seal. And so, um, 
we're kind of waiting to see where that goes. But uh, the basic allegations in this case, and, and not just this one, but the other lawsuits, um, is that ADM had basically flooded the Argo terminal uh, with ethanol starting back sometime in 2017. And the reason for doing that uh, allegedly was to drive down the ethanol prices, which basically gave ADM a really good position on its derivatives. Uh, so the value of those derivatives are, are, are go higher when the ethanol price goes lower. And so that's kind of the accusation had, and, and kind of the allegations that have been brought forward as to what ADM allegedly has done. All right. And I think we're two years now into that lawsuit currently stayed, but you expect this to pick up momentum again here, perhaps over the summer. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, and like I said, there are we've got some some other ethanol companies that have filed suit. Um, I think this one's kind of interesting because I think what happens here uh, is probably going to affect all the other cases. And so, yeah, I think as we go probably here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to know something on this objection that was filed. And then uh, once we get past that, uh, things will probably get rolling. All right. Well, this summer, we're also going to be having some discussions about RFID tags in cattle. Todd, this is something that's been hotly contested since the Trump administration proposed mandating RFID tags on cattle in interstate commerce. Recently, uh, that proposal was upheld by the courts. Is that right? Uh, yeah, the Tenth Circuit had considered an appeal from, from RCAF USA um, about that particular mandate. And um, one of the things that's kind of been lost in the shuffle of that legal case and, and what the Trump administration had proposed is the fact that the Biden administration is going forward with a proposal on that. Uh, we don't really know the details. All we know at this point is that uh, USDA has sent that proposal to the OMB, which basically reviews every every proposed rule and every final rule. And, and there's a lot that really goes into the process. I think we probably have about 30 more days of that review possibly. Uh, and then we'll see where it goes. But US, uh, RCAP U, uh, USA has raised a lot of concerns about even that rule because it's, it's being deemed by the COMB and USDA as something that's not economically significant. And I think if you talk to cattle producers across the country, uh, if they're mandated to use RFID tags, it is very significant. It's a definite investment for them. Um, so, yeah, it's something we're waiting on. It's, you know, the release of that proposal could come at any time. And so this proposal that we're expecting from the Biden administration, Todd, you anticipate it being different than the Trump proposal that RCAF had filed suit on. Did I understand that right? Yeah, I think so, Mike. You know, the very fact that uh, the USDA has has uh, been working on a new proposal, I think it definitely will be different. Uh, whether USDA uh, takes takes the hint from the cattle industry as to what they would like to see, uh, we don't really know at this point. There's really been no details about that. Um, I think the cattle industry would like to see, obviously, some flexibility in the type of tagging that they're allowed to use on their animals. And I think uh, that's kind of the crux of the whole matter, waiting to see what's in this proposal. And this particular case, the RCAF case from the circuit, that they could still decide to appeal to the Supreme Court. Would that be the next step? That's correct, Mike. You know, and as you know, uh, Supreme Court probably doesn't take all that many cases every year. I think on average it's about 80 cases. Um, you know, and we've seen some successor lately, ag-related cases before the Supreme Court uh, have been accepted largely. And so... Uh, you never know, but I think uh, RCAP is definitely taking that under consideration. It's really, um, there's really a lot that goes into that evaluation.
Yeah, and the idea that it's not economically significant when their cutoff is $100 million, Todd, that seems far-fetched right. because it would be quite an investment. Oh, absolutely. You know, the RFID technology is very good. It's, um, you know, top of the line. And certainly, uh, when you look at the cattle industry, the ups and downs that they experience, I think they need something, uh, you know, as you see a lot in ag, they just need certainty in, in what uh, what the agencies require of them. That certainty is what we're all searching for. Todd Neely, environmental reporter at DTN, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We'll be talking with Dr. Jason Miller about the economy when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Get the coolest savings on propane during the warmest months with the Summerfill program from FS. The FS Propane Summerfill program offers customers the opportunity to fill their propane tanks during the summer when demand is less and prices are typically lower. From periodic propane system inspections to convenient payment options, you'll appreciate what FS dedicated propane professionals can do for you. Contact your local FS member cooperative today or visit fspropane.com. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. 
Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, for AOA. Today was a big day in terms of economic reports. One of the most closely watched broad economy indicators is the non-farm payrolls report. That was released this morning. Joining me today to bring us up to speed on the numbers and, more importantly, what they mean is Dr. Jason Miller, Associate Professor of Supply Chain at the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. Dr. Miller, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Let's talk the headlines. We had the jobless, uh, excuse me, jobs report out today and beat estimates, didn't it? Yeah, not only beat estimates, um, but the one thing to keep in mind, too, is that headline number is seasonally adjusted. And since we add jobs going into the summer, the actual number of jobs added is more to the tune of about 809,000, not the 390,000 seasonally adjusted that we saw. Jason, when we talk these numbers and we get that seasonal adjustment, we see it in jobs, we see it in housing reports, you know, throughout the system. How are we better off thinking that we gained 390,000 jobs when we actually gained 800,000? How is the seasonally adjusted a more clear picture of the economy? Well, so what it's trying to do is it's trying to give you a clear picture of the trend to basically say, given historical patterns, how many jobs would we have would we have expected to add in May from April? And the answer to that would be a little bit, you know, over 400,000. And so when we add the 809,000, we have a seasonally adjusted gain of, you know, 390,000. So basically, it's trying to say, okay, if you take out that what we would expect to see normally, are we actually seeing a trend? Okay. All right. That makes sense. So we are still seeing a trend. Hiring still looks to be pretty strong. Jason, was that your take on this as well? Yeah, it it certainly was. And I mean, the one sector that I focus on the most in my studies is trucking and the month the not seasonally adjusted May number is absolutely gangbuster. I mean, it's over 22,000, which is an incredible increase. It's one of the largest monthly increases we've ever seen. And I bring up that number specifically because there's been, you know, all this conversation of are we heading into a freight recession? And it seems difficult to think that when trucking companies have the biggest monthly gain that I can see going back in a decade. And that's monthly gain. That's 20,000 new employees in the trucking sector. Did I, did I understand that right? Yep, 22,500 um, between May and April. Now, granted, that's a preliminary estimate, but that is a very strong number. Now, one thing could be is some of the folks who broke out off on their own and became self-employed may be heading back and working for carriers um, due to high diesel prices. And so essentially, the real increase in capacity isn't quite that pronounced. It's just shifting capacity from self-employed to employees. 
Okay. Now, one of the things we've heard discussed recently, Elon Musk mentioned it yesterday, we've heard several members of the Fed talk about their growing concerns about this economy. Jason, you mentioned you research the trucking sector, you look at all of this economic data. In your mind, are we gearing up for a recession? Are you seeing that on the data in the supply chain? You know, I'm I'm really not. And, you know, we just had um, some reporting out yesterday from FreightWaves talking about uh, three of the major less-than-truckload carriers, which are really the, a good canary in the coal mine for the economy because they're very exposed to the durable good manufacturing sector. And they're all reporting robust year-over-year tonnage and shipment increases from last year at this time. And, I mean, last year at this time is when we were in that sort of, you know, stimulus-fueled retail frenzy. And so LTL carriers are doing well. Um, ISM's manufacturing data was actually very strong and may stronger than I expected. And for everyone who's worried about that negative GDP reading in the first quarter, that was because we imported so much stuff. And actually, when you look historically, if imports go down, that is a bad sign. That is a huge indicator we're going to enter a recession. So I, there just really isn't actually that much evidence out there to say we are going into a recession. I think people are just very concerned because of high inflation. Yeah, high prices definitely make people catch their breath a little bit and perhaps have a little more caution as they're looking out to the... Jason, I know you've been tracking and you touched on it there. The the rotation in spending from buying goods and services, which is what we've been doing throughout the pandemic, to getting back to our traditional habits of spending stuff on services. Are we still, as an economy, making that transition? We are, but it's been much slower than most folks thought. So, you know, the way I like to look at it is really how much are we buying on durables relative to durables? food service and accommodation, and then entertainment stuff, right? If you basically look, we're only basically about halfway back to the pre-COVID mix, and that's as of April of this year. And so the one thing I'd say is I think some of the behavioral changes may be a little bit more long-lasting than folks thought, and so that may help explain, you know, a little bit what we're seeing of why have imports remained so strong. Why are we still seeing, you know, retail be as strong as it is? And it's just, you know, some of our new habits may die hard. That makes sense. I mean, we see that with the pushback on people going back to the office. A lot of folks are pretty happy working from home and buying stuff on Amazon. And Jason, when they're buying stuff on Amazon, could be we're importing it or it could be we're making it here in this country. We're manufacturing it. And I know that we got the May PMI from the Institute of Supply Management this past week. How is manufacturing looking in this country, given the high prices we're seeing for fuel? You know, it's actually looking very strong. I mean, our manufacturing employment data as of May of 2022 is just a smidge right now below where it was in May of 2019. And we really went down in the back half of that year. So we're very likely to actually take out our post-Great Recession high in terms of employment, which was 2019. And in terms of output, there's a very good likelihood that May's reading from the Federal Reserve uh, industrial production data will actually show the highest output since the end of the Great Recession. So we're actually making as much today as we've really been making in the U.S. on the other side of the Great Recession. 
That is unreal. That's a statistic that I don't think we discuss enough here in this country. We are a manufacturing powerhouse in the U.S. And to think that we could be breaking records in our manufacturing here as we climb out of this COVID, Jason, that is pretty incredible stuff. One of the things that you highlighted as you were writing about the PMI was the issue with the backlogs and the way they get reported in the data. Can you talk through that a little bit more? Yeah, so I think the big thing to keep in mind now is even if we're starting to see, you know, new orders slow down a little bit, the growth of them from, the, you know, the torrid pace they were on last year, is we have just an unprecedented amount of demand backlog because of labor issues and especially raw material shortages. And so as it takes time for things to still, you know, the fluidity to improve, we're still going to have all these backlogs to burn down. And so even if demand does drop a little bit, or I should say new orders drop, we've got a lot of backlogs to burn through. Um, you know, new housing starts are 25% above where they were in 2019 at this time. And so, I mean, when you really look at it, we've got a very strong economy. It's the best labor market since the late 90s. It's just the fact we have high inflation that is really causing a lot of concerns. And so I think that's the thing that everybody needs to keep in mind, that there's just not really evidence that the economy is weak. We, if anything, just have the problem of it's superheated. Gotcha. Is that superheating working its way down into pay? Are wage gains still climbing? Yeah, so we saw about, I believe, three to four per a 0 0.3 to 0.4% increase the last month from the month before, and about 5.2% year over year was the number for the latest reading that came out today. Gotcha. So it's starting to slow down a little bit. Is that how you'd interpret that number? Yeah, I think it's probably, you know, moderating a touch. It, it's kind of hard, too, to really get a sense, especially for pay gains, because as we start adding a lot more service jobs back that often are lower paying, you know, that figure could be pulled down. So what you'd really need to do is dive into like the subsector specific level, like manufacturing, and take a look at what are manufacturing workers' wage gains year over year, rather than just what are all workers' wage gains year over year. That makes a lot of sense. There's so much data to keep in mind. Dr. Miller, we appreciate you diving into this data and help sharing your insights with us here on AOA. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody take care. And folks, stick with us. We're going to talk the ag market specifically with Mr. Arlen Suderman of Stonex when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40-plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. Ag Census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, 
and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash agcensus. Thank you. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As you take a look at the market trade, grains and livestock are both mixed as we work through Friday's mid-morning. As we take a look at weekly export sales, another dismal week on the export sales report. Poor sales for many of the ag commodities outside of cotton and a few bright spots in the protein sector. It's interesting to note that new crop corn export sales, though, are already topping 223 million bushels, while new crop soybeans on the books are record for the date at 445 million bushels bushels. So that is something to take note of. The trade really going to be switching and focusing on the weather forecast here as we move into the month of June and get most of the crop planted. One is going to be watching though and wondering how much will still get done in parts of the northwestern plains and the northern corn belt. We'll be watching closely Monday's crop progress report again to see if any progress was made. Trade will be very interested in that. Also continuing to watch the Russia-Ukraine situation. Still a lot of skepticism, a lot of back and forth on whether or not Russia will actually allow Ukrainian grain exports out of their ports. It's something the trade has been wrestling with all week long. Taking a look at numbers, July quarter up two and a half, seven thirty-two at three quarters. December up two and a quarter, six ninety-six and a half. July beans down fourteen and a half at seventeen fourteen at three quarters. With November down ten at three quarters, fifteen thirty-one. July bean meal up a dollar twenty a ton, four sixteen ten. July bean oil down sixty-nine points at eighty seventy-five. July Chicago wheat eight and three quarters lower, ten forty-nine and a half. September down eight and a half, ten sixty-one at a quarter. July Kansas City wheat eight and a quarter lower, eleven thirty-five at a quarter. Spring wheat for July, three and a half higher at 12.03. June lean hogs up 57, 110.62. July up 75, 112.92. August feeder cattle up 22, 173.17. Live cattle for June down 32, 133.30. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues. Next up, we're talking markets, ag markets, with Mr. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. Arlen, thanks for joining us on this Friday. 
Good to be back with you, Mike. We had a delayed export sales report out this morning, Arlen. Pretty dismal export sales in the wheat market, but not entirely unexpected. Is that right? Yeah, pretty dismal across the board. We had some strong cotton sales. China continues to be very active in buying cotton as well as some other countries as well. Um, some, some positive surprises in the protein sector, but when it comes to corn, soybeans, and wheat, it was all pretty disappointing. Probably corn and soybeans a little bit more disappointing than what was wheat. Uh, hard red spring wheat had some good sales this morning. Um, that was encouraging. That was about the only bright, uh, bright spot in the uh, in the wheat side of things, um, and and most of it was of course new crop because we're moving into the new marketing year. And I think the bigger question right now is what's the supply of wheat going to be? How many acres of spring wheat are we going to lose on both sides of the border due to adverse weather? And and then what's the size of the harvest of the hard red winter wheat crop going to be? I mean, those are all billion-dollar questions this year. Arlen, I want to start with that spring wheat crop just because we've been discussing it so much. We've seen continued challenges there in the Dakotas, and now spring wheat today, sub-$12. Is that enough to get folks who are, are facing the planting challenges they've got in the Dakotas to slam some more wheat in the ground? Yeah, it all depends on where you're at, what your soil conditions are, and uh and kind of what your options are. Um, we've, as of Sunday, we had about 2.7 million acres of spring wheat that was still unplanted in North Dakota and Minnesota combined. That's a lot of wheat. And uh, so if, if you kind of look at, uh, um, I want to say the southern part of that belt, they're pretty much done. They may still try to get a few acres in in the northern part yet, a little later insurance dates there. Um, maybe the heat, not quite as much of a threat, may try to get some in. But uh, overall, I think we're going to end up seeing some significant losses of acres. And I think it's it's probably even a worse situation north of the border as you go into Manitoba uh, trying to get the acres in as well. Boy, those struggles are ongoing. Arlen, you mentioned the winter wheat harvest underway, particularly in the deep south. We're getting our first real look at yields. And how are they turning in? I've Pretty much as expected, pretty poor uh, across much of that area. Um, and right now it's just been really wet. We have a pattern set up, but parts of Oklahoma and Kansas continue to get now heavy rains. So first it was the drought and now the persistent heavy rains. And in fact, if you look at the forecast, that looks to continue to be the case over much of the next week to 10 days. So sprouting is starting to become a concern, sprouting of the wheat in the head, hearing a few isolated reports now. Now, but if we continue this wet pattern, that could become more of a problem. Arlen, we just talked for two minutes about the wheat market, and we didn't have anything positive to say about where this thing is going. And yet we've got Chicago wheat down 21, 18 cents on the day today. Where's this bearishness coming from in wheat? Well, part of it is just the technical aspect, uh, keeping in mind that uh, from the day-to-day, -day, you know, long-term price is still a function of supply and demand, but it's modified by the flow of money, and most of the money flow is uh, traded via computers, and the computers are reading negative signals, and fundamentally there's nothing to stand in the way of turning that around, and that's primarily related to all the chatter about the possibility of humanitarian corridors to allow the flow of grain out of Ukrainian ports. 
I remain very skeptical that that's going to happen, and I reminded our customers today in my write-up that many of the very same diplomats who are talking about tremendous progress toward opening up a corridor for grain to flow out of Ukraine, uh, out of Ukraine ports, are the virtually the same ones who said 90 days ago that we're making really good progress in the peace talks and this war may finally be over after a very short 10 days or so. Um, and obviously that didn't prove to be true. And, and it really comes down to this. Russia has stated that it wants to dominate and control the ports of Ukraine. Um, and President Putin is not one to say, oh, I guess I made a mistake. He just is the type of personality to double down. Second of all, he wants Turkey to be able to, well, first I'll say, second of all, he wants sanctions relieved against him for this to happen. And European Union just worked hard over the last 90 days to try to get a, agreement among all of its members to um, to abandon use of Russian crude oil and natural gas. Do we think they're just going to reverse their positions now on that and lift the sanctions? Third, he wants Turkey to oversee the removal of the mines that are currently protecting the Ukrainian ports. Uh, fourth, he wants his warships to be able to go into those ports to escort grain ships safely out of that area. And of course, Ukraine says that isn't going to happen. We're not going to allow Russian warships into our ports. Um, and, uh, and finally, um, well, I guess that says it right there. Um, they can do a lot of talking and talk about progress in talks, but I just do not see it happening. But at these price levels and right now, without a lack of any other supportive news confirmed right now, uh, the bulls are very nervous, and that gives momentum to the bears in these markets. That's a great point, Arlen. And you touched on there the sanctions against Russia and specifically the fossil fuel sanctions, crude oil and natural gas. Arlen, I just pulled up the Natty Gas chart. I'm looking at August uh, just because that was the one that was handy. In the past year, natural gas has climbed from sub $4 to north of $8. How concerned are you about natural gas prices as we get towards the end of this growing season and into harvest? Should we be locking in some harvest LP right now? Well, I think it goes bigger than that, but let's talk about that. Um, if we look at the whole fossil fuel situation, um, right now Europe seems determined to shut off its dependency on Russian uh, crude oil and natural gas. That dramatically tightens the supply in the world, which means that customers are going to be wanting to buy U.S. supplies competing with domestic demand here in the U.S. market. So the demand is going to be strong. Meanwhile, we have an environment, not just in the United States, but globally, that's anti-fossil fuel. And so here in the United States, we've seen that play out with a lack of exploration of new wells, and that's where we get a lot of our natural gas from is these shale oil fields. And so we're, de we're slowing the expansion of production, and demand is growing much faster than that. So that leaves more upside risk there for the fossil fuels and natural gas and crude oil. And then here's where I was going to go with that. Natural gas is the primary feedstock for our nitrogen fertilizers, globally. So we're tightening in the availability of natural gas at a higher price. So that leaves significant risk for fertilizer for 20, 
2023. So that's a real concern why some in the industry think next year might be a worse year for fertilizer than this year. Now, I know that we're going down seasonally prices now because this is a lower demand time, but I think that's a concern that we need to keep in mind is that possibility that we could dramatically tighten fertilizer supplies in the world next year, particularly if the war with Ukraine lingers and China continues to hold back supplies. Um, and uh, it certainly could be a factor going forward in the year ahead. Arlen, we've got, as you mentioned, a year, you know, to get prepared for this. Are there anything growers should be doing right now to secure fertilizer to manage some of these price risks? Or does the responsibility now fall on them to just manage your sales in such a way that you can cover these costs? Well, I think you, you you certainly need to do that. You need to be margin focused uh, between uh, what your revenue and, and your input costs. Um, but don't get ahead of yourself of pricing next year's grain when you leave yourself exposed on the input side of things. Most producers are not large enough in order to really lock in using some of the derivatives available to hedge your risk on fertilizer uh, supplies or fuel supplies, but they can work with their suppliers to try to bundle some of them together to try to do some of that and hedge some of that risk exposure. And so I would be having those conversations with their suppliers. It may seem a little bit, oh, you're worrying too much now at a time when fertilizer prices are coming down, but both fuel and fertilizer price risk for the coming year remains significant. You need to be just having conversations, talking to suppliers, seeing what can be done to partner together to try to focus on the margins between what the price is being offered and what your cost might be. Arlen, we've seen an $8 rally this week in August feeder cattle contracts. Is that strength going to continue as we uh, really get into the month of June? Yeah, it really comes down to what kind of growing season we're going to have. We could, The possibility is there when we look at corn acres not planted, there are several million acres of corn yet not planted in North Dakota and Minnesota. Uh, we also think we may have lost a half million acres in the south to cotton. So we could see a tightening of corn acres that even a trend yield would leave us very tight in the year ahead. If we have any weather problems at all this summer, we could see a, a rapid escalation of prices. Um, and so that's a real concern for livestock feeders that need to be watching. Yesterday's monthly European weather model came out showing hot and dry west of the Mississippi River. Now, it's not that now, and I don't know whether it's going to change, but that's what the model was saying. And so that is a risk that end users need to keep in mind. More drought talk potentially on the horizon. That's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. Arlen, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We'll dive deep into soybeans with Scott Geralt, the chief economist at the American Soybean Association, when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that 
that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. I guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria. Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.
water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past week, now granted it was a holiday-shortened week, but one commodity has really highlighted the volatility that exists in the financial markets as we see them today, and that was soybeans. We saw phenomenal gains early in the week, and now today we're seeing some weakness, and we're gearing up for next Friday's release from USDA of the June World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. With that on the horizon, I figured like it was time to check in with our friends at the American Soybean Association, and joining me today is Scott. Geralt. He's the chief economist over at ASA. And Scott, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me here, Mike. Uh, happy to talk about soybeans today and what's going on in our sector. Well, let's start with the really big picture, Scott. We've got the world of supply and demand estimates coming up next week. I know you've got your own balance sheet for stocks, uh, soybean stocks around the world. How do things look right now? Are we sitting with more stocks than we had last year? Or are we still running the uh, the pipeline pretty dry uh still running the pipeline relatively dry um usda is currently projecting um at least until we get the new numbers that at the end of this marketing year the 2021 2022 marketing year that uh, we'll have the lowest soybean stock level worldwide since 2015 2016 marketing year um so uh so definitely lower levels and that's largely because of the drought issues in South America. If you look at where stocks have really fallen off, it would be like Brazil, Argentina. They're, uh, USDA is projecting a little lower U.S. stock level. Um, but part of that is trying to compensate for some of the production shortfalls in South America. Um, they're also having Chinese stocks down a little bit, but they were pretty high last year. And of course, you know, anytime we talk about Chinese data, we always have to say there's, you can't put a lot of, no pun intended, but can't put a lot of stock in it. Um, so, you know, with the production issues, definitely a, a little tighter year on the stock side. And as you think about where things are going around the world, Scott, we had phenomenal upheaval in all the global commodity markets with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Soybeans, no exception. Have you been tracking changes in the way beans flow around the world? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. Um, so, you know, of course, Argentina is the meal oil exporter, and, and there's more demand for uh, soybean meal just to backfill some of the other demand. Um, so, from the U.S., we don't we don't trade a lot of meal, to be honest. Or sorry, a lot of oil, soybean oil, to be honest. Um, we we consume most of it um, domestically, and so um, yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely shifting patterns on veg oils, but um, as far as the U.S. really changing trade patterns on soybean oil, uh, not so much right now. 
All right, we're holding steady. You brought up, Scott, the challenges we're seeing this planting season. Of course, growers are getting caught up. We've had some some uh, decent weather days, allowing folks to get some seed in the ground. But as you think about acreage this year, Scott, has your balance sheet changed since those uh, March estimates? Oh, man, my uh, my balance sheet has been all over the place, uh, Mike, uh, to be honest. After those March estimates, um, we saw a, a real shift or a definite shift in the uh, soybean to corn price ratio, we saw the markets trying to bid back some of the corn acres after um, that big surprise in that March intentions report with a high soybean number and a low corn number. Um, so I, I thought that might bid a few more acres in last minute into corn out of soy. Um, but given the planting delays we've had with corn, um, you know, I think that's going to work the other way. Uh, so. You know, I, well, well, corn's pretty much caught up at this point with the five-year average. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still not sure that it's going to mean we end up with a lot more corn acres than than were intended. So, while I was probably thinking a little little less soy, a little bit more corn initially than the plantings report, uh, with this weather, I'm I'm not so sure about that anymore. And you know, I kind of feel like uh, the June acreage report at the end of the month is going to be a little bit like throwing a dart at the dartboard. Um, you know, but the only thing I'm sure of is I'll probably be surprised when we see those numbers just because there's so many competing forces out there pushing those around. That's the thing. There are so many competitors for acre space this year, Scott. Do you think, and I know this is a, a big question, but total planted acres are going to see a big run up this year? Or do you think we're going to see total planted acres come down amongst all crops, given the wacky weather we've seen? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um you know, it's there's a lot of areas of, of the country, of course, that, that have done fairly well. I was uh, driving through central Illinois um, on a farm yesterday, and, man, it looks great out there. You got corn and beans coming up, um, looking good. You know, everything's in. Um, but, of course, you have places like South Dakota that have just been so wet that they're they're very far behind on their plantings. And then you have drought areas as you um, move south from there down through Texas, pretty severe drought in areas. Um so I mean that's that's a great question. I think the incentives are there to, to plant every acre if you can get it in, but with some of these weather effects, I I don't know. I, I think on soybean side, we'll we'll be fine on the overall acreage, um, but you know some of that missed corn like in the Dakotas, um, North Dakota that could that could end up in beans. But as you get further south and things like Texas, what's that going to do to their cotton number? Whenever you start talking about total acres, you know we could see some pull down there. Um, so I, I'm still expecting to see a, a strong acreage overall acreage number, um, but I, I think we could see some a little bit of weakening in it. Um, and keep in mind in the planting intentions report, overall acreage was pretty much uh, unchanged year over year. There's very little difference. Um, so if so, if we don't hit that number, that'll that'll be a reduction in the uh, planted acreage from uh, 2021. All right. I want to turn the focus back to the products for a second. You touched on oil there. We're seeing that global market sort itself out, but we're also seeing a lot of enthusiasm for oil. We're seeing new processing plants announced, and I know some might be coming online later this year. Scott, we've seen the meal market drop about 85 bucks here in the last two months. Is the price of meal, do you think, going to continue to come down as we get through this summer and that oil production starts to ramp up more? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think some of that, from what I understand, is um, price of uh, synthetics competing with the meal and uh, pushing that price down a little bit. But 
with the strong oil prices we're seeing, that's going to continue to put downward pressure on the meal um, as we're crushing more and more for oil right now, with it being about half of the value. So I think we could see some um, softer meal markets, uh, which would be good for livestock producers, but that'll be offset by the higher oil prices. All right, a lot of things to walk work through, folks. Stay with us. We'll have more on Monday on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.